This is Designers Right, a podcast about the role of designers in the climate crisis, the inequality crisis, the migrant crisis and all the other worldwide disasters we are facing at the moment. How can we think different about design? What narratives do we need to change in order to get there? And what does it mean to be a designer in the context of today's challenges? Designers Write put out an open call for designers to write an essay addressing these questions. And the text curators, there are three of them, they selected six essays. In total, we make three podcasts in which we talk with two designers, each podcast, about their texts. Also, we will address the design sector as a whole to talk about its place in the world. This is episode two. My name is Ainuk Tan. I'm the moderator of this uh, podcast. Uh, I want to also address a practical point. The essays are all published on our website, which is designersright.org. And the direct links to the text can be found in the show notes, as well as the links to other sources and resources. All right, that was my introduction. In this episode, we will talk to two designers who wrote uh, an essay. Um, those designers are Trang Ha, welcome, and Dirk Ossinga. Hello. Um, I want to start with, uh, with a short introduction of you both. Uh, Dirk, would you like to start? Yes, um, my name is Dirk Ossinga and I work as an architect and I have my independent practice where I try to combine design and research. Yes. What, what, is that? what, what, do you, what are you researching? Um, last research project was a research on indoor climates in uh, buildings uh, where we tried to investigate a different way of uh, conditioning climates. Uh, Trang, would you like to introduce yourself as well? So um, I'm Chang Ha and um, I graduated as a graphic designer and now I'm uh, shifting to a more artistic um uh, practice and I'm combining design and art uh, to speak about um, problems and ecology, especially ecology problems. Right. Interesting. We will hear also uh, a little bit more about your vision and practice uh, later on in this in this podcast. We also asked you to bring a sound to describe um, your vision or uh, uh, the things the things you do. Uh, uh, Dirk, I would like to uh, hear your sound first and then you can elaborate. Dirk, what are we hearing and and why did you uh, take this, uh, uh, pick this uh, fragment. This sound is uh, made when I'm tearing off a sheet of my sketching roll, uh, which is transparent paper, which I usually use to uh, sketch ideas and lay on top of each other. It's really a kind of an old-fashioned way of uh, uh, using, uh, of sketching actually, and not so much in working in the computer immediately. And for me, that helps a lot um, to. Uh, break out of the computer and to uh, yeah to just learn to enjoy sketching and drawing which is really calming for me and and a nice activity is that a unique thing like is isn't it's not very no, is it, no. Th- isn't there a lot of architects doing that yeah it's a typical architect sound i would say i okay. mean uh, it's not uh, what is the last thing you drew uh, a garden as a matter of fact i'm working now on a garden project which is very nice okay yeah Great. Um, Trang, we're going to your sound. Um, Maybe we can listen to it. (laughs) 
these are these are from Paulina, the painter that I was working for during summer because she did an exhibition here. And uh, uh, like during summer, I don't know when it was when I was working for her. So Drang, what are we hearing? So um, as soon as I get this um, request from uh, from uh, yeah to record a sound, I I immediately um, on the next day I went to my uh, bookshop where I usually uh, sit and um, yeah take care of the bookshop, and uh, I wanted yeah to say a bit because this bookshop it's a uh, place in a very interesting um, environment because it's one of the oldest and busy street of the Hague. And um, within this uh, audio, you can hear that uh, there's this interesting contrast between a bookshop, which is something that, um, yeah, mostly it's an art bookshop. So it's, it welcomes people mostly from the institutions and art students. And uh, if you can hear clearly mm, from the outside, there are like roaming sound from motorcycles, from um, yeah, from uh, people who are just uh, laborers or workers or shop owners. And what what does it say about your your practice or your your vision of the the, the things you make as a designer? Let's say. So as a designer, I think communication is very important. And to be able to communicate, you also have to observe and to use your awareness in, in such a way. And I think my daily practice is that I'm very, uh, I tend to observe everything. Uh, little thing, big things I do and find um, things that I can use as a content to communicate my own practice. All right, we're, we're going to talk about your text uh, now, Dirk, and I will uh, switch to you again. Um, you wrote a text called What Design Can't Do. Um, what is it about? The essay I wrote is uh, about the fallacy of problem solving in design, where uh, in the design world, there is the notion that uh, designers can tackle worlds uh, or societal or complex uh, problems. And I try to criticize that notion yes. and, and see uh, that there is a kind of a uh, misunderstanding of what design is uh, as a discipline and as an activity. Mm-hmm. What is what is the the difference between both design as a discipline, design as an activity? Well, design as a discipline um, is about the design profession that has a history, uh, has a custom, has practices, and um, many uh, and knowledges. And uh, uh, where as a designer, you need to know how to navigate in that world just like an artist needs to know about the world of art and design as an activity is something uh, quite fundamental to human nature we all do design actually and those terms design as an activity or design as a discipline are often mixed up when uh, people or design critics within the, uh, talk about addressing uh, societal problems and how does how does this head okay design as a as a discipline design as activity how does the problem solving the designer as a problem solver relate relate to this these uh, this distinction? Um, well, mm, obviously, um, problem solving is not exclusive to design. We all solve problems in our daily lives, but also in many different professions. And whereas uh, some design critics. Uh, have trouble in defining design. Design is more sort of a hybrid uh, 
discipline, you could say, in between art and engineering. Um, but that's up for debate, of course, too. But uh, And uh, the design theoreticians tried to pin do- down what design is, and then they came to this notion of design is problem solving, and I don't think design is problem solving or solely solving problems. Mm-hmm. You also, I think, mention an alternative or have a plea for 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 a different notion of what design can be or, or what it misses now. Can you tell me something about that? Yes, what I uh, think is uh, underestimated is the uh, importance of aesthetics in, the, in that debate. Uh, I think as designers we are giving form, and it's a completely open door what I'm saying, is, but in that debate about... Um, what design can do is actually that designers do have uh, knowledge and practice about aesthetics in uh, designing artifacts. And these can be processes or products or complete buildings or cities. Um, but I think that value is often underestimated, which I think is highly important. Mm-hmm. All right. I think you also selected the, uh, a fragment from your text. Maybe you can read it. What design can't do. In the summer of 2020, where we all had time to reflect, architect Jacques Herzog was asked by his equally famous colleague David Chipperfield, who was at that time guest editor of Domus, what architects should do about larger societal issues like the climate crisis, socio-economic inequality and the current COVID-19 pandemic. His short and maybe cynical answer was nothing. His longer answer was more nuanced. But why are architects and designers asked such a question in the first place? What makes them believe they could even begin to address these issues? I think that there are at least four reasons for this belief. And then I skip a few paragraphs. Um, I mentioned two design critics, Alice Rothsorn and design author Don Norman. And both these authors seemed to selectively echo Victor Papenek, who was one of the first designers to be critical of design and promoting the importance of design for social change. He stated that the most important ability of designers is to recognize, define and solve problems. However, all these authors seem to confuse two things, namely the difference between design as a discipline and design as an activity. Most of the time, the design doesn't start with a problem in mind. The process starts with visions, ideas, dreams, needs or desires waiting to be fulfilled. It is true that while fulfilling these, many problems do arise that need to be overcome during the design and realization phase. But what these authors try is to unconsciously transform design into a science and turn it into a systemized rational process that in the end can possibly be taken over by artificial intelligence. To reduce design to functional problem solving is forgetting it is also akin to art. The authors succumb to the populist disdain that design is mostly just about beauty, form, style and luxury, or in other words, aesthetics, and want to give the profession seemingly more relevance so they take out one aspect and blow it out of proportion thereby overpromising what design can do. However, as a society we tend to forget that aesthetics are essential to nature of which we are part and parcel. Humans have an inbred need for aesthetics. There are two fundamental activities that we do as humans, and that is understanding, 
with an equal capacity to misunderstand and creating with an equal capacity to destroy. Where the first gives meaning and the second gives pleasure. It is to experience these two either actively or inactively what is possibly the purpose of human life. Therefore we must not undervalue the meaning of pleasure, of aesthetics, when we design practically and ethically. It is what contributes to delight, health and well-being, and this should not be forgotten when designers are asked what design can do. Thank you. You you make this distinction, right, between hey, it's a plea for pleasure, for aesthetic, um, less so for the designer as a problem solver. Is that distinction, can it can it also go together? Is it is it also something that 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 maybe relates to each other in a way? Is is this distinction so clear? Um, of course, uh, you you de- uh, you can apply aesthetics to problems, and uh, or uh, I think that already happens. There is not not such a clear distinction between that. But I think um, not always are problems solved aesthetically. Or aesthetics are used to solve problems. Yeah. As, yeah. as a matter of fact, many um, examples that Alice Rawstorn gives in her book are not really uh, problems solved by designers, but designers and activity is used to solve that problem. Whereas I think, okay, that is a design, but it's not designed from the designer's perspective. Yes. That applies also an uh, aesthetic yeah um, approach to solving problems yeah 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 we talked about also we had a, a little bit of talk before um had uh, this podcast as a, as a sort of pre-interview and then you talked also about the notion of a uh, inferiority complex of the designer can you elaborate a little bit on that yes um what uh, seems to be happening is that the the important uh, the de- design needs to be given some kind of importance and of course it has an enormous influence on the world uh, unmista- unmistakably um, but uh, like the like what I mentioned before to just view design or aesthetics as unnecessary not really relevant um, gives then uh, uh, then design needs as a profession which is already a kind of a hybrid dis- profession needs to have a purpose and that purpose suddenly is then solving real world problems um, and that you could yeah. say uh, turns into uh, is a, an inferiority complex of designers or design theoreticians it's then used and suddenly all gets overblown in kind of a megalomanic thinking yeah. like we can really design the whole world once because suddenly the world is designed and we are now entered in uh, the Anthropocene which already underpins that notion that we designed the world and we even designed nature. Yes, so it's this overcompensation almost of an inferiority complex or like a symptom of it. Seemingly, yes. Yes. Um, which, which is a bit of a set with a tongue-in-cheek of course but... Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, we also have, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, uh, three text curators who were who were basically functioned as uh, as jury members in selecting the text that were um, that we received. Um, and we asked uh, one of the text curators, his name is uh, Florian Kramer in this case, to ask you a question and to also say something about your text. Uh, Florian Kramer is a designer and a researcher um, in the field of visual culture and autonomous practices, and we will listen to his comments and questions uh, right now. 
Dirk Osengras' essay is only two and a half pages long, yet it sums up a key issue, or perhaps even the key issue of contemporary Western design discourse. And not only is it a summary, it's also a sharp critique. The title of the essay, What Design Can't Do, almost tells it all. It clearly alludes to the conference series What Design Can Do, and the organizers of this conference series publicly state that, I quote them, we believe in the power of design and creativity to transform society. In this essay, Dirk Osengra destroys this belief. Now, everyone who works in the contemporary design field knows this belief or even the religion that design can solve the world's problems. From the essay, readers learn where it historically came from and why it is flawed, because it overestimates the agency of designers while underestimating other societal powers. What I personally like most about this text is its clarity and precision. In only eight paragraphs, it contains an entire critical history of design discourse and it's suitable for any audience, students in particular. In the role of a critical scholar, Dirk Osinger quotes his sources and references and in his role as a critical designer, he writes a manifesto that destroys the gospel of contemporary design. Not everyone in the design field will enjoy to hear this message that design may in the end not solve problems but even create new ones, that designers fail to see how, I quote the essay, totally dependent, end quote, their work is on others. The text ends with a critical provocation or maybe even a dialectical turn. Let me try to explain. I think many non-experts still think of design as something that makes things pretty, while design experts think that design is about fixing the world. Now, Dirk Osengra makes a turn and a case for aesthetic pleasure. This is provocative because aesthetic pleasure has almost become a dirty word in today's art and design worlds. Still, my question to Dirk Osengra is, aren't you risking to throw out the baby with the bathwater? Don't you fear that traditionalists will misread your text, make it their new gospel, and, for example, fire political designers from design departments? and tell you, Dirk, that your job as a designer is to create aesthetic pleasure and not to write critical essays? It's a very on-point, uh, I think, uh, fragment of, uh, of audio. What is your reply? Yeah, Florian summarized it quite eloquently, what I uh, wrote about, much more than I just uh, did here. Um, I think also very interesting questions. Um, The, my question would be a return, what is the baby? That's my first uh, return question. And the secondly is, uh, do I play into the hands of the traditionalists or the more yeah, conservatives? And uh, I would say um, maybe, but uh, um, beauty comes in many guises. So the traditionalists, they have a fixed notion of what aesthetic uh, quality is and Most of the time it's uh, either strictly modernist or classical tradition, in, in architecture at least. Uh, I think there are many different kinds of aesthetics, so um, I think always the case should be made for pluralism and not uh, one uh, aesthetic notion well that is of course i mean we will talk about it a little bit later like what it does aestheticism mean and um because i also told you in the pre-interview like i come from a background of fashion and in fashion 
um, aesthetics are used for to to maybe well to legitimize the new you could say and the new is a way of course to to uh, reproduce a, a power system that that exploits uh, the, the environment exploits uh, people uh, around the world that are making our clothes i'm not sure if aesthetics can be blamed for that so i think there are two things so uh, what i mean especially if we have it, uh, if we talk about fashion fashion is great uh, for style and for being bold and uh, make statements through garments and i think what i mean uh, what uh, fashion should the, this kind of attitude could be applied much more broader than just in fashion alone mm-hmm. nevertheless of course there are uh, huge problems uh, in the fashion industry or the uh, uh, but that has not necessarily got to do with uh, aesthetics per se. I would say even we could address those uh, issues within the fashion industry or the, and still have aesthetical outcomes. Yeah, no, no, no. But, but my question was, was more how does aesthetic, this plea for, for aesthetics, how, does it related, how, does, how is it related to the new? Um, how you make aesthetic timeless eh, also? Yes. Because yeah, the I new, mean, I think, is a, is a fundament of, of the problems we were talking about. Yeah, th- I think that's today. one of the reasons. I mean, uh, the uh, a certain notion of newness or originality is valued within the profession. And it's also uh, within, uh, uh, I mean, in our society. We like also new things. We, uh, we and new things are necessary too. Well, let's 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 elaborate that maybe later because I don't think I really agree with you. But um, anyway, first we have to go to Yuri, uh, Yuri Pruis. Um, you are one of the uh, the founders of the Designers' Right uh, platform, so to say. Um, and every episode uh, you uh, have selected a historical text. You will read uh, one now, and uh, it shines new light on the, on the topics we we're talking about. So, Yuri, what did you bring for us today? Yeah, so I try to find a text, obviously, that matches somewhat with the content of your essays uh, <clears throat> and also addresses some of the problems that we've been uh, talking about f- from a different angle than the last one. The last one, the, uh, the previous one, was very, you could say, activist in the sense that it wanted to tell designers to stop altogether, basically. This text is actually more inspirational, aspirational, you could say, and it's by Constant, Constant Nieuwenhuis. Um, Many of you will probably know him, especially for his project New Babylon, which is a utopian project, an architectural project, actually, uh, by which he tried to visualize a, a, a world in which people would be completely free of labor, um, and gave them time to play. So uh, he reintroduced the concept that uh, Johan Huizinga introduced in the 20s, I think, uh, of uh, Homo Ludens, the, the playful man. Um, and he wrote an essay about that called The Rise and Fall of the Avant-Garde, where he goes through basically the entire uh, history of modern art and design and says and kind of tries to highlight what these people did right and wrong in their quest for freedom. It's a public, it was first published in 1964 um, in Randstad, a literary magazine, and was published in his uh, essay collection Revo- uh, Revolt of the Homo Ludens, uh, Opstand van de Homo Ludens, in 69. Industrial designers are opportunists, and their ideas, therefore, have something false. 
In contrast to the kitsch of mass production, they create the myth of the responsible object. However, they do not hide the fact that their theories are permeated with nostalgia for the past. Medieval community ideals are being taken out of the old box, the Bauhaus is overflowing with them. The artist, it is said, has to take up a serving task again. Yet, the subjection of the artist to commercial society means nothing but its succumbing to commercial production. It puts himself in the surface of the profit makers. It is not the community who benefits from its sacrifice, but the entrepreneurs. The functionalist artists are the first since mechanization not to be duped. They sacrifice their dreams and their creativity to the hard reality. They give up their barely threatened freedom without a fight. But their sacrifice is meaningless. While they pretend to use the machine creatively, they have mechanized and thus negated their own creativity. Because creative invention is the only human faculty that cannot be mechanized. They have wanted to replace the freedom of the playful fantasy with the illusion of an ideal form that only has to be given up to the machine in order to allow the masses to enjoy culture. Although they have modernized their sense of superiority over the crowd, it does not make them any less lonely. Art is dead, but the creative person awakens. He lies in wait for his chance and he sees that the circumstances are developing in his favor. Utilitarian society is on the brink of collapse, it's causing its own demise. The initial growth of markets through the expansion of the world population, through decolonization and industrialization of new countries, forces the construction of a production apparatus with a capacity that can no longer be controlled. At the same time, however, the need for human labor will decrease in the long run due to ever-increasing mechanization and automation. The situation is already unfolding in which an almost unlimited production capacity is confronted with the diminishing pur purchasing power of an unemployed population. This situation will worsen as more still underdeveloped countries have started to automate their production. In the revolutionary crisis situation that arises from this, the only possible solution will be the demand for free consumption without labor and associated social control of world production. However, this obvious perspective will have profound consequences for the way of life of the future man. The homo faber will cease to exist and a playful way of life will fall within the reach of almost all people. The life of mankind set free will be the new poetry produced by all. If the last artists still have a task, it lies in the preparation of that future culture. The great non-stop happening that we can expect once the creative potential of all mankind is unleashed will change the face of the earth as radically as the organization of production labor has done since the Neolithic. The era of homo ludens is ahead of us. Well, that's a very utopian vision, <laughs> uh, insightful, but um, far, far away, I, I, I think. Uh, anyway, what is your uh, um, reply on, on this text, Dirk? Um, well, Constant was a visionary, and uh, uh, I think, in a way, he, he uh, makes us... I mean, it's a bit hard to directly react to such a text, but... I think he, he sort of analyzes the situation quite well in the sense that there are uh, 
issues within uh, global production and um, uh, exploitation of labor and uh, due to uh, automation actually now uh, we are maybe partly already here we are already the homo ludens in what way uh, maybe we are uh, 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 i mean technology gave gave us enormous freedom in a way and um, uh, we are exercising our uh, capability to play uh, uh, i think not so much as uh, constant would have liked, but <laughs> but we have the possibilities to do so. Yes, exactly. We have more yeah. privilege and freedom than maybe in that yeah. era. Uh, Trang? Mm, yeah, it's also uh, it's hard to also react to um, a big text like that uh, instantly. But uh, I'm intrigued in the in the in the freedom of of we. Um, because I think the the we here can be narrowed down or uh, expanded, because freedom we as like freedom uh, does not include, let's say, laborers nowadays. Um, it implies mostly to yes designers, artists who are privileged in giving this discourse. So I- in a way, yes, uh, we are um, freed uh, by automation, but. Um, that same automation is also uh, constrained us to, yeah, to um, problems of our our own and in relation to to others ar- around us. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, I think that's a very uh, good point. Thank you. That the automation is is restraining also mm-hmm. not the we that is maybe addressed in this text. Um, Trang, I, w- I want to uh, go to your text, actually, mm-hmm. because you also wrote a very interesting text called Off Rap Culture. Uh, rap with not R-A-P, but W-R-A-P, Rap Culture. Um, can you enlighten us? What is this text about? So I think, um, yeah, I find that um, it's interesting to to use uh, rap, the rap, uh, as comparison to the sandwich. Um, and a look into details um, metaphorically as well as um, materially. So yeah, the, the wrapped itself, yes, I, um, I described it as something that uh, it's, it's a rolling motion. It it's allows the, um, the ingredients inside to, it's like a round table setting where all the ingredients has um, opportunities to interact with each other while if you look at a sandwich, it's almost constructed the same way. There's many ingredients inside as well, but it's uh, basic. Uh, it's it's very clear that there's a hierarchy in in a sandwich, and this speaks a lot in in the way that we we are now uh, speaking of my own background as graphic designers. We um, we have not given enough chance for uh, for interactions, real interactions. We uh, theorize things from how the sandwich is constructed and uh, it's always a hierarchy um, like what is more regarded as uh, design or more regarded as you know urgent problems that we were trying to solve and and uh, that gives us a very big distance in um, in the actual practice on the actual actions that is designer 
are facing in uh, in his own or her own real life. You talk about the wrap, like mm-hmm. the WRAP, the food and the sandwich, and you mm-hmm. make a distinction between that. I also think it's good if you read a, a fragment of your text mm-hmm. so that the re- because it's a it's a metaphor. Eh? Mm-hmm. Those both food food uh, foods are mm-hmm. a metaphor for for the design structure as mm-hmm. you see it. But I think it's also good to to read a fragment so we can think along with you because right. it's a it's a layered text. I think and it's a It's, it has a sort of absurdism, I think, to it. <laughs> so I think it's also good to uh, to yeah, read I w- it. Yeah, I, w- I would love to, uh, to read also like the t- yeah like the the way that I structured sentences. Yes, well. please so do. Um, why aren't we in a rap culture yet? Because the sandwiches we eat are still stacked. There are layers of complexities and organized diversities, but they are always hierarchical. We bite into the sandwich with the inclusion of all ingredients and felt that we have achieved the understandings of diversity and complexities. But in reality, we have only possessed of, of ready-made dogmas. We see how a sandwich is constructed through the 3D rendered menu. We see whether we want it or not and whether it is worth for us to modify. A sandwich is like a Disneyland. The effort to make it look great exceeds the reality of his taste and even his overestimated convenience. The, nor- the normalization of such created a false sense of comfort, comfort food, a man, a newspaper, his coffee and his sandwich. He dreamt about far away enlightenment as he sank his the- teeth into the soft bread. His depression has been mild. At least he doesn't have to deal with people around him. But what I'm trying to say with rap culture is that we designers are too scared to face the contaminants of our time. What we are designing is so exclusive and inaccessible, so sterile, that it cannot make kin with other ideas and thinkings, despite how much we put effort in making this perception visible. But visibility is not enough, especially in our current isolation stage, when the inclusion of other bodies is even more difficult. So then what will happen to the discourse about complexities, precariousness, diversity, multi-species, non-human and commoning within the context of environmental crisis? Sometimes I even think that design is not even necessary to start realizing and encouraging the realizations of urgency. There are too many representations in design and too much theoretical knowledge. This then goes back to the need of reforming educations towards the learning of and in a social social environment. Not just any environment, but the environment that is the closest to you. Thank you. You you talk about... uh, um Yeah, a, a bunch of ready-made dogmas. Uh, you're, you're also quite critical, I think, in your text in the sense of what the sandwich represents. Um, how, how did you... How you talk about ready-made dogmas, but you're also talking about um, uh, the, the, the designing that we do now is so exclusive, it's inaccessible, it's mm-hmm. it's sterile. <laughs> I can I can uh, move on. Mm-hmm. I can I can go mm-hmm. on in that sense. Um And there are too many representations in design and too much theoretical knowledge. Where does this idea uh, come from, from you? Like, w- what is the, the urgency for you to, 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 to create such a critique in that sense? Uh, in that sense, I have to uh, highlight the last sentence. is that, that it goes back to uh, education, because 
after graduation, graduating from my studies uh, as a graphic uh, in in graphic design uh, fields, I find that even though all the knowledge that we have gained through uh, and they are very great knowledge, they they encourage us to open our mind about uh, various things that are really complex um, and 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 very urgent, critical things. But then. Um, then it stops. Uh, it stops where where it is in the institutions, and when you step outside, you realize that these knowledge does not synchronize with what you actually do, and the designers uh, forgets that. Um, yeah, everything he does, um, he he is making a decision, and he's using his skills to make these decisions within his own perspective, and that is missed out within. Uh, the, the ready-made dogmas or the, 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 all the knowledges that we have gained within uh, academy and studies. So the edu- there is a gap in education, uh, in design, that does not allow or does not promote the, the students to be able to communicate with the real world. And to what extent is the rap culture, uh, you, you named already a few uh, characteristics of the of the rap culture, but to what extent can rap culture uh, or the rap, uh, the food, mm-hmm. eh, which is also a, a bridge, of course, to the to the daily life? I think eh, that the fact that you mention food or address food in your text is also what is rooted, of course, in the banality of the day. Let's yeah. say. Um, so, what is it exactly in rap culture that that gives an alternative to the things you are criticizing? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the, the rap culture is is all about interactions and friction. So I think that is lacking in 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 uh, in most of the design um, uh, academies and programs. I think we have not made enough interactions with um, outside of the circle, outside of the design circle. That we uh, we forgot that. Um, yeah, like our decisions is, is this is where this our decisions affects the most. We design things. That it, that it affects um, immediately the the surrounding and the local scene, and uh, because it within the design institution we we are learned uh, to yeah to try to tackle that uh, um, more globally and more more abstract from the actual action. So the rap what the rap culture could do or in in this sense like to gather and to make frictions is that you are making a visible impact on something you you can see and and i think that will also refine even more how the way you design or the way you make decisions within your practice also we had yes that's beautiful thank you we also had a pre-interview like i did with Dirk, and you were mm-hmm. also talking about the, the the gathering of the of the that is around the, when you eat a wrap or mm-hmm. a burrito or oh, <laughs> I yeah. thought that was a really nice anecdote. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? It, it, there's a really small interesting uh, thing about the the, uh, the, the wrap food is that it's always um, it's always uh, has uh, little components, so it always comes in many. Uh, and wrap when you eat a wrap in in different cultures, uh, you never really eat alone. You have different, uh, yeah. You it's always come in many, so you always share with other people, and you always eat it in a setting that 
um, you are surrounded by people, mm-hmm. as compared to like a, a sandwich where you it's it's a purely con- convenient food. It's something to uh, fuel even more the the aspect of individualism and singularity and like um, to take control of the individual and the ego. So that's already separates you from even to think about that what you can do with other people. So I think that 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 is the the the, the notion of the rap is that it comes in many and it comes in a very dirty like you eat it in a very dirty way and does you always have people around you do, watching you doing that. And it comes in a circle. Yes, also it comes in a circle as well. Okay. Um also we uh have one of uh, our text curators who uh uh, selected eh, both of your texts. Um, we asked them to um, uh, to record their thoughts about your text, and in this case, uh, and also have a question for you. In this case, it's Aminata Cairo. Um, she is a speaker, a scholar, and a storyteller specialized in uh, the field of diversity and inclusion. Um, also, she has a, a thought and a, a question for you. So let's listen to that. Hello, this is Aminata, and this is directed at Trang Ha. And first of all, I hope I pronounce your name correctly. Um, and really want to commend you on your piece uh, of the rap culture. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was a wonderful piece. And I come out of the world of diversity and inclusion, so I do not come out of design. But your piece spoke to me on so many levels, and there's so many quotes that I can um, you know, bring up. Um, I don't want to spend all my time doing that, but basically you compared the, the food wrapping um, as an imagery, as a metaphor, and compared that to the sandwich. And what you say, for instance, is a wrap is an environment created to let individuals be in close contact with each other, touching each other to the point that they have to accept the awareness of the others. You know, another thing you say is rolling, wrapping, or covering our universal gestures of care. So this whole idea of care and bringing people together with all their idiosyncrasies. And then you compare it to the sandwich, you know, and then you say, you know, a sandwich is layered and a sandwich is hierarchical. A sandwich is like a Disneyland, the effort to make it look great, but exceeds the reality of its taste and its overestimated convenience. And... So again, I want to thank you because it gives me, as somebody in this field, tools to work with. Because one of the things I try to do is get people to to think about who we are as a people from different perspectives. And that's what you have done for me in this piece. And But in the end, you do, you know, it is about design. And you do talk about designers um, specifically. And then you say you design as you speak, you design your plate as you eat, as when you're talking about even, you know, creating rap culture. And so you are asking something very different from designers as to um, how they do it now, because you're saying what they're doing now, everything is too clean. Everything is, you know, everything is too sterilized. I think that's the term that you used. And, you know, and one of the things you say is that we have to use our hands, gather and talk despite having to shout. You also say, we have to use our hands to eat, despite having to sanitize it 10 times. And so what you are telling me is that this is, if we do want to do it really right, whether that is about diversity or about design, that requires something, that requires something 
um, requires something more, that we have to get our hands dirty. Um, and so you talk about all these things in our society that are not pleasant, but that are present. And how as designers do we deal with that? I hope I, I, I interpreted that correctly. Obviously, I'm very passionate about what you wrote. And so my question to you is this. Um, you are giving a charge to designers, basically. Asking them to do it different. Asking them that to not be so sterile and perfect and clean and to take all the difficulties into consideration. How... Are you doing that as in convincing them and getting them on board with your vision? Or perhaps you can share something about your efforts of what you have done so far of getting designers uh, to come along with your vision. And again, thank you very much. And I hope that we can use this piece. I would love to use this piece in my work to get people to think and envision something very differently. Thank you so much. Well, Drang, I, I don't think there will be <laughs> there is a bigger compliment than this <laughs> these four minutes of 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 elevating your 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 text and 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 uh, Aminata is apparently feeling very passionate about it what uh, she said herself. Um, it's an interesting yeah. question I think she posed. Uh, what mm. is your answer? So yeah, I I'm really happy that uh, she actually she elaborated all almost all the points perfectly and. Uh, uh, I was happy that I, I shared the vision with her as well. Um, well on, on my side, I would say uh, what I have done so far. I, I would say, first of all, I have I've chosen a language in terms of communicating about your design. Yes, I've chosen a language, which is, which is food and, and storytelling and uh, collaborations. Um, of course, you need a language in order to communicate. So that that is the most important thing, that I chose something that I'm fluent in and I'm able to uh, speak with it. As, um, as I was trying to abandon what I, I've learned in, in, in the graphic design departments and now shifting my practice towards uh, more engaging and collaborative process, I'm, I'm looking forward into creating a platform where I can bring in not only designers, but, um, but also people outside of the design field. Great. Uh, I'll say, I think uh, Aminata also mentioned that, uh, how do you take others with you in this mm -hmm. in this notion of, of your idea of, of what design is, mm -hmm. which is, I do think, a, mm -hmm. a very different vision mm -hmm. than what mm -hmm. you learn on the academy or what mm -hmm. people uh, usually see as design. So how would you, uh, how would you take Dirk into your, uh, your vision? Eh? This is a designer mm -hmm. sitting here. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, it's a nice bridge. Um, maybe, maybe first, Dirk. What what did you uh, find uh, uh, interesting or not so interesting about Trang's uh, Trang's Trang's piece? Are you are you also inspired like Aminata, or do you have a, a more critical approach? Um, I like the idea of the metaphors of sandwiches and wraps as a way to think about society or possible alternatives. Uh, somehow, I found it, it took a while to understand the differences uh, between the two, and I sort of like sandwiches too. And uh, I mean, one of the associations I had with was that the sa sandwich reminded me of the book of uh, Benjamin H. Breton, The Stack, where he uh, writes about planetary scale computation on. Uh, on the sovereignty of states, on the, the effect of that. And in it, he, he has actually quite nice line in it, 
where he says that the, those layers inside the stack are actually modular and can be innovated and replaced. So I thought that's very, uh, actually it's quite an open model, the sandwich. Um, and with the wraps, I thought about, I had the association of the, the Spheres book trilogy by Peter Sloterdijk, who, who writes about different scales of, of spheres we are uh, inhabiting the world in. And, um, and uh, so who, who he states who is in the world is already in a sphere. And I would say, aren't we already in a rap culture? Um, I would say yes, we we are, but uh, is it visible yet? Uh, that's the question. Is it is this rap or is it it's the form of this rap visible for everyone yet? I think what you actually saying is also what you're saying a, a little bit in in reaction on on Yuri's piece is like who who is in these spheres already? Yeah, right. Who and, is and in who this is, sphere? Yeah, and who is the the we that that can play or who mm-hmm. is the we that that can enjoy the rap or or mm-hmm. uh, or enjoy or, the or, or, or even understands yeah. that they are in a rap mm-hmm. culture or, yeah. or not. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to ask you, Dirk, do you recognize in in some way the, the the distinction between, let's say, the sandwich or the institution, the hierarchy that that design uh, can bring forward, and the people that maybe do not uh, fall in, into that, do not understand that language or are not familiar. Basically, the gap between the, insti- the d- design as an institute and the, the people, let's say, huh? on the floor, <laughs> doing the work. Society <laughs> at large, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. Is, that, is that something you recognize or, or maybe, maybe you don't? Uh, there is already a l- very long-standing critique that design needs to be democratized mm-hmm. or, being, or made more inclusive. It's at the same time, we are all confronted with design. I mean, there is a, inher- inherently, there is a... Um, a gap. Um, maybe this is. Also no, yeah, let, let's say put it like this. In, in my, when I studied architecture school, which is ten years ago, um, there was a change. So it was a predominantly male discipline, uh, and it's changed because there are uh, much more uh, females now practicing architecture. So things are changing, uh, and of course that that is an ongoing process. Uh, uh, and of course, if you. I mean, I'm not sure if you allude to this, but if you maybe grow up in a, a in Rotterdam South, you don't have any knowledge, a notion of what that you could study to be a designer, and mm-hmm. you are not so brought into contact with design. Well, I mean, you you are also from the field of architecture, eh, which is a very different field. So let's also like pinpoint that as well. Uh, um, um, so, but. Is 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 your field or, or design in general? Is it is it rooted enough in our daily practice, or do you think it needs to be more? Or or b- because maybe I can also imagine architecture is a very technical design skill that maybe not anybody can do. Mm-hmm. So so how do you see this 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 idea of of food and bringing people together? Is that is that something you miss also in your in your own field maybe? Um, um, I don't miss it so much as I engage with my clients and we talk about uh, the design process. It's a thing you do in dialogue. Um, So I don't uh, miss that uh, as such. Uh, And I think a a large, there are many uh, practices do engage with normal citizens who are not not often come in contact with design and they uh, try. I mean, there is a whole um, 
practice of participatory design. So I don't feel there is a lack of it. And there are institutions in the, here also in Rotterdam, like, for example, the Architecture Institute in Rotterdam, um, who tries to stimulate the debate uh, 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 about the way the city is developing. Mm. Um, so things are around. I think mm. it's a matter of how to come in contact with them. Mm. But it's, uh, yeah. I mean, on a general uh, level, mm. I would say. I yeah. could only talk about that. But I think for, uh, for me... Uh, Trang's text was about a plea for togetherness and more community or more tribes and sort of against or sort of more positioned. Um, yeah, more speaking and yeah, more actions than uh, theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I think I have like a small questions in the, uh, just um, a bit outside. But um, so ha- actually I have... Have you tried to talk about like architecture design with someone just like you know outside of the architecture field? Uh, yeah, I talked. And, and how did it go actually? Because I get that a lot when people are wondering like, how do I explain graphic design? You know, without people going to the generality of banners and flyers design you know and and then i i made a whole lecture about graphic design and then people get disinterested then yeah then then i have to think of a way that i can engage some interest yes. into this and field. this notion of how to engage actually mm-hmm. was triggering you also maybe in in the practice that you're doing now yeah exactly so to make this connection yeah so i so that's why i i'm searching you know i'm searching for a medium you know, because we still need a medium to communicate and, and in visual communication is very important. But the medium is a message. You you need a medium that just need to transcend mm-hmm. and, and um, yeah, and, and gathers people attention. Mm-hmm. That makes a nice bridge to uh, aesthetics. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> what 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 did you find, uh, Trang, uh, uh, of of Dirk's text? Um, and, and especially the, also the plea for more aesthetic, the, the relationship to the designer as, as problem solvers. Um, so for me, um, yeah, there's, there's always um, a pre-notion that when I mention aesthetics, it, it's, it goes to many wrong directions in terms of, um, yeah, pretty things, pleasures, well-being, health, even though it's important, it's not something that we all inherit. There is an imbalance of this um, notion of aesthetics. Um, and it's a privilege to be able to have that. Um, so I was... So, sorry, this is very important. Uh, this imbalance in notions of aesthetics. What do you mean by that? An, an imbalance? That people don't... It's certain, like, um, let's say people in Vietnam, yeah. they they don't even know what this term is and they they cannot appreciate the the fact that there are pleasurable things while they have to let's say survive life let's say or or they are more yeah less um educated about it let's say mm-hmm. yeah, so i'm wondering about that because i think that all people have a sense of uh, beauty or a uh, have a certain taste so mm-hmm. it's not maybe uh, it's a different one but mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm I, yeah, I'm afraid to say that I take a little bit of a 
universal standpoint mm-hmm. in this way. So I, I know it's not very fashionable to talk about L- it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. okay. Uh, uh, also, like I'm gonna return to to two things. You take more a universal standpoint. That's not, and uh, well, we also need to return to the we question. But Trang, I want to let you finish first because otherwise you didn't make your your point. I will go to one questions for for Dirk. That's, um, is that a wa- in in your uh, essay you said that most of the time design doesn't start with problem in the mind, and it starts with vision, ideas, dreams, needs, or desires uh, waiting to fulfill. Is us also applied in your own practice? And how how does this vision look like for you as an architect, or mm-hmm. in your personal uh, perspective as well? Let me just uh, explain it by an example. So I was um, approached by a client who wanted to do something about her garden. And uh, you could state that it is the the garden as a problem, but uh, I didn't see it as a problem. Suddenly I just got an image in my mind of this is how this garden should look like. Mm. Yeah, visions, ideas, dreams, needs, desires. I think it's also very different because... You're also you're also very dependent uh, as an architect. You you have work a lot for clients, of course, and you have more of your autonomous practice. So I also think that is a difference. Um, but I also think that it's an interesting. Um, yeah, do you do you also have this this autonomous vision from your from yourself without client? Do you do you work autonomously in in a, in a way? Yeah, um. I, I think also maybe this is. A little bit relevant to your question or no? Mm, autonomous. Well, like, I mean, in, in graphic design, we, we also, yeah, have clients as well. I think that's that's uh, what I'm trying not to go into because mm, okay. um, um, because that really puts the, the designer as, as a worker, let's say. Mm-hmm. He fulfills as someone's um, desires. Yes. Yeah, there I, I disagree a little bit. So mm-hmm. I sort of, I try to have a different notion uh, of what an architect uh, should be. So an architect is not just providing a service, or a, and I think a designer should never just provide a service, but also... Um, needs to take into account the discipline of of their respective discipline. So I I have to sort of always look at architecture as a discipline while I'm designing something for a client. And I think that is um, a a kind of a uh, semi-independent position. That's how I would like to practice architecture. It's always in a dialogue with the client, not just only fulfilling... Uh, the wishes of the client, I would say. So that's more sort of commercial design. I understand that that happens a lot within graphic design. Yeah, but and also, also in architecture. This also fits with your essay, of course, in which you say designers shouldn't be problem solving of society or a client, or may, but should have their own maybe aesthetic agenda. view, agenda, yeah. uh, uh, dreams, desires. But needs, there comes immediately a problem because there's a huge stereotype against architects. As architects only want uh, aesthetics, or they, uh, yeah, they only have their own vision and they're only following their own vision and they don't listen to clients. So that's okay. a, that's also a kind of a stereotype, I would say, which is maybe also sometimes true. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I hope that maybe that's a reason for another essay to mm-hmm. to write about. What is actually now the role of the architect, or what could the role of the architect be? And, and I think that is actually very necessary to uh, to think about, actually, because uh, I see design uh, within the realm of culture, and 
uh, as we now um, uh, experience that uh, culture is uh, enormously under pressure mm. during these pandemic yeah, yeah. times and yeah. uh, it's just been brushed off by just listen to yeah. a CD instead Actually, it's of going to a concert. Actually, it's also a plea for beauty, for culture, for yeah. all the things that makes us... It's an expression of yes. our society, I would say. Yes. And I think that's very important. Yes. How do you see that? Well, I, I would say it's, yeah, it's very different um, in the graphic design uh, realm because I think, st I think still graphic designs that comes from... Um, yeah, the the European, uh, mm, yeah, like art Tradition, traditions, yeah. are still struggling to sustain themselves, and I I don't think that that is a restraint for them to um, to tackle their relationship with their clients in a way that they don't really have this freedom to mm. uh, express their own um, yeah. artistic practice because it is still you know. Um, for example, Mondrian and Fun, they don't accept graphics, the Bachelor of Graphic Design as in the part of art practice. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, we have to actually deal with... Um, yeah, you're not always in the position or the privilege financially also to yeah, say, well, exactly. this is what I'm going to do. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But this is also has got to do with the fact that you graduated from an art academy. Yes. And, and it's your, you had your context you had your education there, there is a the vision yes. yeah that that graphic design can can negotiate with the clients in terms of uh, your own uh, autonomous practice but it's it's not always reality mm. and yeah. this is basically comes down also to your point of that culture is under pressure in the netherlands so if it's not appreciated in that sense mm -hmm. then it's also difficult to um to 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 create your autonomous notion of gr a graphic design or uh, whatever a, a building or anything. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yes, I know. But at the same time, I mean, my for example, my research projects they are funded by the Creative Industries Fund, and I think uh, that is an uh, incredible uh, luxury or, or uh, mm -hmm. uh, to have here mm -hmm. in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. So there is, of course, still uh, uh, inf a cultural infrastructure that subsidizes art and independent practices at the same time it is under pressure yes. and we've seen this in pandemic it's neither it's always not an either or discussion yeah. Well, yeah. Um, but i think it was sort of one of the uh, interesting uh, points trang makes uh, in her text is also that she's very critical about education yes. and at the same time as i if i understand it correctly education is also seen as a kind of a solution Mm -hmm. So we believe still in education. Yeah. Well, what kind of education? Yeah. That's the question. Yeah. I just want to stop you here because I needed to return to some points and we're also, the time is running out. Yuri, I want to go to you. I were talking about the autonomous practices, to what extent you can do whatever you want uh, in terms of uh, in, with a client. Who can do that? Who's getting funds? What are the criteria for the funds? So how much freedom does a designer maybe have? Um, in that sense, maybe it's a, it's a little bridge to also the homo ludens, the playing human that can be creative. Um, we're talking about, we were just talking about or the, the reply of, of Trang to your text was, who is the we that can play? Um, actually, we're talking about that again. Who is the we that can play? If a graphic designer um, doesn't have so much funds, then you cannot also demand from your client that you can do your own thing because you don't have the luxury to say 
no to whatever the client wants. Um, how do you how do you view this discussion also from the point of view that you picked out? Well, I think the discussion about what the role of the designer is and the the boundaries of of the freedom of the designer within that field is uh, is always going to be a discussion about privilege. So whatever you land on in terms of what the those boundaries are, there's always going to be much more freedom than most people who are impacted by those processes. So it's kind of an elite discussion to have even because that's not the real problem. Uh, and I think what Constant, uh, because Constant also gets it wrong, basically. And we can see that he gets it wrong because what he's what he's describing isn't what happened because more automation and more mechanization didn't exactly actually do the thing that he said it was going to do because we're not more free. We're actually working more hours. We're actually having to produce more. We're actually the level of what we are uh, asked of by society, not just us as privileged people, but people uh, all over the world, that, that pressure is only increasing because of mechanization and extra in, in, hyper-industrialization and everything has to go faster and everybody has to be online all the time and so much is expected of us that there is actually less time to play, I think, in this in this time than, than maybe uh, in the time that Constant was uh, writing about. So I, I think that the, the, the discussion about um, uh, the role of the designer should always encompass that whole system behind it and all of the people that are being impacted by decisions that you make as a designer, as an architect, as, as whatever in whatever field you work. Constant says something about uh, underprivileged people, let's call them. Uh, he, he talks about uh, underdeveloped countries, which he puts in, in quotes, by the way, so he doesn't mean that literally. He sees the irony in that wording, obviously. Uh, that doesn't come across in a podcast. Um, but there is still something lacking in his an analysis that uh, these people are not being liberated and they actually are not, they don't really care about play. They want food, they want a roof. They, they, they are not concerned with these privileged uh, notions. They are concerned with survival. And I think uh, that is something to take into account in a discussion like that. And that that's actually why I wanted to bring up Constant uh, because he, he gets it wrong. I think that it's typical that this book came out before the report of the Club of Rome limits to growth because uh, at that point, I, I don't think he, he would have written the same thing after 1971. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, we also have to kind of take that next step in that discussion and not talk about what design can or can't do, but to, to be more fundamental in our approach of what what the field of design is actually causing and how to fix that. Well, that's exactly what you're not saying in your essay, I think. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 that's not completely Dirk. true. No? no, 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 not at all. Because I actually say that that I believe uh, designers are ethical and aesthetical beings. So, of course, but we don't have much influence on this uh, on the consequences of uh, making design possible or I think that is a there are boundaries to your uh, influence yeah. as a designer on certain processes because not you don't have the power always to take complete responsibility for the production process 
of, for example, I don't know, solar panels or uh, stadia. In, uh, yeah, I, I, I do feel connected to that point where the fact that when you mentioned that uh, it's over-promising, like in let's say, and do, do we, are we actually responsible for hungry people that is half away uh, in the globe? And um, I would say like, no, actually we there's little thing that me or you can do and then see the change happening in front of our eyes. Um, that's why I, I'm also stressing that, that that is why what you can do is actually tackle something that is close to you, uh, like around you. Mm-hmm. Have you done anything to actually your own discipline to change anything in discipline? There are many problems or just jump over and mm-hmm. uh, leave it behind because we actually couldn't solve it. Like mm-hmm. design education mm-hmm. or the fact that, uh, yeah, like designers are also trying to finance uh, finance themselves. Um, even my friends and people around me are trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we can make uh, decisions for that and by by helping this first and to create solution for this first so this problem solving is actually right in front of us last question uh, beautiful conversation by the way um, you know students young designers what would you like to 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 give uh, to to give them or as a, as an advice maybe also in the context of the essay you wrote of course um, so for me then uh, I would say yeah observe your surroundings Start there, with, start there. Start mm. there. Observe your surroundings. There are people who are doing the same thing that you're doing, and they they need um, um, aids. They need help or assistance in pushing a certain perspective forward and to also make change. And it starts from yeah your your own environment. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you can tackle that successfully first i think it will resonate itself and changes will be made on a slowly on a larger scale yeah yeah okay (laughs) thank you um yeah if i would mention one little thing i would say it it, uh, aesthetics needs language so it's about developing a vocabulary uh, that can describe certain aesthetic experiences and uh and read and write. So this was Designers Write, episode 2. My name is Ainuk Tam. The Designers Write project is an initiative of design platform Rotterdam and curator Juri Pruis. Text curators are Aminata Cairo, Marianne van Helvert and Florian Kramer. The Designers Write team would like to thank the BNO, the Association of Dutch Designers, and Design Digger for distribution support. This project is supported by the Creative Industries Fund NL. And please check designersright.org to read the full essays. Thank you for listening and stay safe out there.